0: This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including Latin 101, Learning a Classic Language. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is Steve Hayes from the Weekly Standard. And Steve, what is your uh, letter grade for uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech today from a standpoint of what he wanted to do? And then what kind of letter grade do you think the members of Congress would give it, having watched it?
1: Well, I mean, I think in terms of his objective, he met his objective. I don't think there's any question about that. He laid out, I think, very carefully very methodically, the threat for Iran, both to Israel and to the United States, and then also to stability in the region more generally. And, you know, if the goal of the speech was to start a discussion, start a debate about the threat from Iran that we haven't seen or heard for six years of the Obama administration, he succeeded.
0: Now, what about the members of Congress who are sitting and watching it? What do you think they thought of it?
1: You know, it's interesting. I think for the people who, who came in uh, thinking that they were likely to agree with Prime Minister Netanyahu, they sort of had their views affirmed and, and kind of, um, you know, leave the speech maybe more committed to to pushing back against a bad deal uh, than, than when they came. The to, to people who were skeptical but open-minded, I think many of them were likely persuaded. I think it was a pretty forceful and persuasive speech. And to those who boycotted, I mean, it was interesting watching... Uh, the many Democrats who boycotted the speech at their press conference afterwards. Uh, I mean, probably the best uh, outcome for Democrats is that uh, on that score is that there weren't a lot of people who saw that performance. You had Kentucky representative John Yarmouth come out and compare Benjamin Netanyahu to a child going to Disney world who just wanted everything uh, that he wanted and wouldn't take no for an answer. You had David, Price, a representative from North Carolina, whining about protocol, suggesting this was some great breach of protocol to have a foreign leader come and speak to uh, the U.S. Congress or foreign leader involved in U.S. political issues, despite the fact that, of course, the administration enlisted British Prime Minister David Cameron just a few weeks ago to make the case to members of Congress against new sanctions. And then finally, you had Jim McDermott, Baghdad Jim. Who went to uh, Iraq on the eve of the Iraq War back in September of 2002, and basically propagandized for Saddam Hussein? Uh, those were the people you had making the arguments against Netanyahu from the Democrats today, and, and I don't think it was—I uh, don't think they did a very good job.
0: Well, you also had Hank Johnson, who declined to uh, show up at the speech, but he was just afraid that Israel would capsize. So that was where the way. Right Tip over, right, exactly. Right. I want to ask you about the. Uh, the two, There are two things going on here. One is the uh, desire of the White House to make a deal with Iran and if this speech had any impact on those negotiations. And the other is many people believe that President Obama has been prepared to act unilaterally, even on something as profound as this, to simply say, look, I'm making a deal with Iran. I'm not even going to let Congress approve it. We're just going to do it. Has that weakened the president's ability to continue this executive yes. order presidency? I think
1: it- – I think this makes it harder. Um, you know, as I said, we, we literally haven't had a, a public debate about the threat from Iran for six years. I mean, President Obama came to office and suggested that he was going to uh, seek some kind of rapprochement with Iran and that he wasn't going to be dissuaded in doing that sort of no matter what happened. And I think that's what we've seen in the years since. And this speech was a sustained effort. To make a case that Iran is a threat, and we need to take it seriously. I think Netanyahu probably was able to persuade people to that effect. And in in any case, you know, we've had now in the what six hours, seven hours since he gave his speech, a longer sustained discussion about the threat from Iran than we ever have in this than this administration. So you know, it, it, if nothing else, it certainly raised awareness uh, about the problem. And I think will make it much harder for the president to make some sort of unilateral case that this is his and his alone. And by the way, I mean, they've been quite explicit that that's what they intend to do. Dennis McDonough was on the Sunday shows back in January saying we don't regard this as something that we have to take before Congress.
0: You know, the uh, president has been able to use the we won, get over it argument uh, against Republicans because Republicans are so bad at politics. I mean, it's just this DHS fiasco is just proof that, uh, you know, you, handing the uh, Republicans political power is sort of like handing the would-be Syrian, you know, uh, moderates guns and ammunition. They're just going to – pretty soon there are going to be more dead Syrian moderates. They just don't know what to do with power. But I think that the – Uh, reaction from the White House to the Netanyahu speech using that same, well, we won, he doesn't have any power, this is nothing new, why are we even talking about this guy? I don't think that's a winning strategy. I I think it is hurting the White House's political case by trying to simply dismiss this very thoughtful, well-argued speech out of hand.
1: No, I agree with you entirely. I mean, number one, they're just wrong on the substance. He did present something new. He talked about the ways in which we could remove ourselves from this sort of binary choice that the White House has set up of either a bad deal, or a capitulation on the one hand, or war on the other. I mean, Netanyahu said he tied, you know, Iran's regional aggression and, and terrorism, a number of other things, to some kind of a deal, and additional sanctions, or what have you. So it's just not true on, on the face that, that he didn't propose anything, new. number one. Number two, if you've had an administration like this one, which has gone out of its way, to decouple the nature of the Iranian regime, the the, uh, support for terror, the repression uh, of of human rights, uh, the the putting down of the um, revolution in 2009. The administration's explicit diplomatic approach to Iran has been to decouple the nature of the regime with its Iranian nuclear program. And What Netanyahu argued today, and I think argued very effectively, was it is folly to try to decouple those things. You can't do it. The nature of the regime, in a sense, matters. And I would argue, and I think Netanyahu argued, it matters more than anything. And to try to separate the two is to try to suspend reality. And when you have an administration that has been so determined to kind of set aside the threat, to set aside all of this uh, other behavior from the Iranian regime, what Netanyahu said today will strike many as new Because it's something that we haven't
0: been talking about in this country for years. Um, You have uh, the President of the United States and the Vice President and the likely Democratic nominee and 50 Democrats in the House and Senate all snubbing the leader of Israel at a moment when there is an existential threat against Israel on the horizon. And yet I'm also confident, as I say that, Steve, that the percentage of Jewish voters who will continue to vote Democrat will be largely unchanged. Am I accurate? And what does that say about why the White House may not care what the facts on the ground are?
1: I'm not sure that that's still the case. I mean, I I think this is sort of a a wrenching time uh, for those in the Jewish American community. People have grown up in, in many cases, have grown up to habitually voted Democrat. Um, may agree with Democrats on on, uh, domestic policy issues, on economic issues, uh, but are, are, I think, deeply troubled at the fact that this seems to be this kind of preemptive capitulation again and again and again from the Obama administration, not on small questions. I mean, these are not side issues. You are talking about, potentially, the, the, the existence, the continued existence of Israel not a small issue. And I think you're going to have people who say, you know, I might agree with President Obama on, on tax rates. I might agree with President Obama on um, social issues, but I don't agree with him on this. And I think he's not taking it seriously enough and, and could be persuaded to look at voting for Republicans maybe for the first time in a long time.
0: Well, it's interesting because my wife is not a political activist kind of person, and her television consumption usually focuses on dance moms and shows where wives plot to kill their husbands. But I got unsolicited from my wife, who happens to be Jewish, a text today, did you see the BB speech? It was fantastic. And I'm like, you watched a political speech? And she is, I mean, it it is this issue to her. She looks at her Jewish friends and, and neighbors and just says, how can you be talking about anything else at this moment in history except this. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty telling.
1: I think it's reflective, and, and and I would argue that it's not just Jewish Americans who, who feel that way. I mean, I've talked to, to, to friends of mine who, you know, and obviously this is just anecdotal, but some people don't pay attention to sort of every twist and turn of American politics and aren't the first ones sitting down to watch, you know, Fox News in prime time or tune into the news news. Shows who have said so. Sort of, what's the deal? Why are, why would we why would our approach to Iran as a country be one in which we sort of uh, assume good faith when there's been no demonstration of good faith on the part of the regime going back decades? And I think it's a fair question, sort of a commonsensical question, and and it's a fair one.
0: I agree with you completely, and uh, and Bibi Netanyahu certainly raised that issue. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. You bet, Michael. Thanks. We've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.